Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I am here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hi, how are you? I'm alright, thank you. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm sort of sitting here thinking that we are now heading into late 1964 which is um, um, a bit of an odd thing. I didn't realise we've sort of gone straight into to subject matter there, but it, it, it's just kind of occurred to me that if we were to ask people about the big Beatles events of 1964, the chances are that most of them would come in the first half of the year. Or should we say at least, you know, up to maybe July? That seems reasonable. Yeah, you've got the whole sort of, you know, um, number one in America, um, Ed Sullivan show, you know, the perhaps the run of shows in Paris where the, you know, the recording of Hard Day's Night and the release um, in the summer. And then I suppose July, maybe into August, the Jimmy Nickel um, uh, appearance on, on the world tour. Um, but we don't tend to think of late 64 uh, in those terms. So, um, yeah, good luck for us for for hearty, exciting uh, podcasting then. Well, yes, exactly. It's time to tackle the Knackered album and do Beatles for Sale, which means we are kicking off with No Reply. It is kind of weird. I also don't really think of this as being like a 1964 album, even although I know that it is. And it does occupy that sort of weird sort of luminal space between like the more obviously kind of experimental and sort of growth spurt that uh rubber soul represents and everything that sort of folds out from that and and the, the like the classic pop beatles era that that kind of yeah. um sort of slightly ends with uh the release of a hard day's night i mean it's it's probably fair to say that the covers could have appeared on on either of the first two albums really i don't think there's any covers on there where perhaps they've sort of come along since and thought, well, you know, maybe now we've got this particular audience, we can now do this. So I find uh, I find the covers of this album curiously backwards looking. They feel less, yeah. almost less advanced than some of the the covers which are on earlier albums. It's a a curious choice, but we will get to them and yeah. and one in particular in the fullness of time. Although although it's probably worth saying at this point that that um, you know we have kind of flagged our our. Uh, disregard for for Mr. Moonlight. So that you know the challenge, dear listener, is is for you to to let us know. We're, we're going to maybe sort of jump in early here and and do that where you can really get a hold of us. Where you can do two things really. You can obviously you know contact us on on any of these social media formats that JG is going to highlight for you in a moment. But actually, also if you feel like you can mount a sterling defence of Mr. Moonlight, or dare I say it, some of the other meh covers that are on this album, then then get in touch and, and we'll have a little chat about, you know, whether or not you might want to come on and and join us for a discussion um, in a segment that we're going to call, even though a, a Andrew and JG think they're right, there's probably an argument that suggests that they're, they're in suffering insufferable bores we'll, we'll obviously work that up into some sort of pithy title but please please do get in touch and say actually do you know what i've got tons i could say on this and and um um i'm gonna um i'm gonna come on and defend um buddy holly or carl perkins um and these covers to the hilt so socials 
Yes, well, you can really get a hold of us uh, at uh, Beatlestuffology uh, at gmail.com. Should email be your preferred method of communication? We are at Beatles underscore Ology on Twitter. Uh, yeah, we have an Instagram. Do you Have you worked out what our Instagram thing is yet? It's, it's Beatlestuffology. Okay, there you go. That should have been relatively easy for me to work out. We are Beatles Stuffology on Instagram, it says here. Um, so yeah, get in touch. It would be it would be lovely to hear from our dear, dear listeners. There you go. Absolutely. And um, yeah, any any interactions that you, you want to offer, um, um, then, I mean, as long as they're legal. Uh, <laughs> obviously. Thank you for uh, that caveat. There you go. So uh, I really, I just, I just chucked in the, um, um, you know, getting JG to run through the socials there so I could... I could check Twitter um, in, in that, that modern way. It gave me a brief moment where I could look at my phone. <laughs> there you go. Right. Okay. Um, no reply. Yes. This this is a funny one, isn't it? What we've got here is is a different way to to um, open a Beatles album because obviously you know I've got a sort of standing there. It won't be long, and we've got a hard day's night for for the first three albums. But this actually seems to dovetail in more with um, I'll Be Back. It seems to be that if you were going to put I'll Be Back and No Reply, uh, I'll Be Back being the last uh, track on um, A Hard Day's Night, put that back to back with this, then there's some form of coherence. But it's not that that big, grand opening statement. It's more of, of a sort of a slightly world weary oh woe is me aren't I unsuccessful with the ladies type song not that Lennon's ever written one of those before heaven forfend um so it's, it's just odd that it, it's not that that ball grabber um that you might have otherwise had on on Beatles records I quite like that though it, it it does feel like they're trying to do something which is a little bit different and the fact that it isn't the the usual kind of big rock kind of opening is something that works in the album's favor. I mean, it's certainly thematically consistent with the majority of the material on the album. Mm. And I, I kind of quite like uh, No Reply, because even though it's, yeah, it's definitely not Lennon's first stab at Oh, Woe Is Me, I like it for the fact that it feels genuinely sort of melancholy and wistful rather than bitter and resentful. It, Which, let's it, face it, is the tone of, um, of a lot of the album. Well, absolutely, and 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 this this sets the album up perfectly well. So you know, this it would be weird if this had opened with like Kansas City or like some big I don't know rock number that that that, that would try and sort of grab you, but it, it doesn't do yeah. that, and and that's that's the right approach. And yeah, I I like that atmosphere about the song. I like the fact that it's Lennon. If it is familiar material in terms of the content, it's not necessarily that familiar in terms of the delivery. And that, that wistfulness isn't something that we've seen all that much of from Lennon. It's, it's difficult to know what what's on the album that could have worked as, as that kind of um, sort of normal opener. I mean, you sort of think that actually, um, in some respects, eight days a week could have opened and closed and also gone in most of the other key positions uh, on the album because it's it's one of the more sort of you know traditionally power poppy type Beatles songs on there whereas a lot of the rest of it doesn't have that same kind of um, that same kind of feel which is which is fine that's not a criticism um, because in particularly the 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 Beatles written tracks on this are still you know pretty darn good um, and do compare well to an awful lot of the competition at this point in in 64 but it is 
showing signs of of weariness and and maybe that's why some of the you know the the lyrics without wishing to get too much into the album but you know um um you know some of john's lyrics in particular are are very much of um well you know if i hang around then everything's going to be a bit crap so you know i'll get my coat and um and then you can all be happy without me um you know and 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 that's fine that's fine that may be where he was at at that stage in his life um but you know and the irony of, of this is is that it was it was a song that he he wrote on holiday um when he should have been really happy um but then clearly wasn't it's a holiday that he went on with um Cynthia um and um George and and, and Patty um which is quite interesting because they they sort of have you know odd combinations the Beatles and, and don't know if you're aware of this odd combinations of of who they go on on holiday with um you know 1965 John's going to go on holiday with with George Martin and their partners which, which is feels a, like a really weird one it really does bearing in mind um you know and um, second episode running I mentioned the 1971 Rolling Stone interview where he just seems to be setting George Martin up as a as a know-nothing fool who ruined their creative abilities and so on and so forth and and has taken far too much credit for discovering the Beatles um and you know that that's fine but um it was written on holiday and yet it has that kind of um downbeat um feel to it which just seems a little bit odd um incidentally and and i throw this in because we're talking about a song that we probably haven't got that much to say on but uh, the other week um myself and and my own cynthia slash patty um were in she should be thrilled by that description <laughs> by the way <laughs> just just sort of making like we were we were in um um well i suppose northwest wales I was going to call it Snowdonia, but actually I don't want to call it Snowdonia because I know that that um, the the Welsh government has deliberately changed the name back, or rather um, is now promoting it under its Welsh language name, and I, I can't remember what that is. Um, but it's anyway that will help to sort of you know pinpoint where it is in people's minds. And in nineteen fifty eight, and actually what you've got on the on the North Wales coast. Um, down and then around to, to this part of Wales are places where traditionally people from um, Liverpool and Manchester would have gone on holiday um, for large parts of the 20th century. And in 1958, um, George and Paul uh, went on holiday there. Now this is, bear in mind, I think is slightly in the, in that kind of you've already used that liminal space uh, reference but in that liminal period where George is kind of in the band but not quite in the band where he's been introduced but you know maybe John's a little bit uncertain but I like the fact that the two of them just go on this this um this holiday and you know it's been weird lots of people have been writing recently about the um the Beatles mad mad day out in I think 67 where they wandered around London and had loads of pictures taken but this sort of thing is just strikes me as vastly more interesting how two of them just just travel on their own without really much preparation to Harlech um in uh, on the coast of Wales and you know going to camp in someone's field but it's raining so much that they end up taking them in and um and they get friendly with the family so much so that that you know they 
end up playing um, in the band that one of them has in the pub that's down the road. And, and that house and, and, and that pub are, are still there. Um, you can still sort of see them and, and you know, what part. I mean, I just think it's really, really interesting to be able to, to sort of to walk around a very small town like that and think, I wonder what the teenage George and Paul um, made of this. Um, uh, I wonder how much they looked up at Harlot Castle and thought, wow, that's amazing. Or whether they just thought, um, oh, let, let's, you know, play on the guitar and try and sing some songs. So I wonder what they, they did on, on their holidays, um, which is almost the second um, Fairport Convention reference uh, in a row as well. But we'll gloss over that um, at this stage. But you just think, you know, these are kids having fun away from their parents, um, you know, before they go to, to Hamburg. You think, what did they do? Um, anyway, you know, I, I just find that kind of thing absolutely fascinating. Um, and, and there are some you know, interesting connections to that part of Wales because just up the road is is um, Port Merion, which uh, which George in particular, well, actually, and Brian Epstein uh, seem to really, really like. But what I don't know is at what point George fell in love with Port Merion. I sort of got this this sort of thought in my head that, that maybe it was on this trip that they, they took the train around the coast and, and just happened to sort of pop in. Um, or whether it was later after, you know, the prisoner that, that then he became um, aware of it. But there you go. So, um, yeah, that's that sort of just just a kind of a little thought because there aren't that many Beatles links to Wales. Um, so when you come across them, you know, I think they're, they're sort of, you know, they're, they're interesting to have a think about. And especially with the, the teenagers that they were about what they were doing um, to just become the adults that they did. And, and, you know, it's quite a brave thing for a couple of kids relatively fresh out of school. In fact, George maybe, maybe just finished his O-levels at that point, I think. Was he born in 42? I don't think know. it was, I think it was 42, wasn't it? Yeah, so they would have made him 16. But they obviously liked it so much that they went back um, the following year. And that's kind of where the um, you, know, you can see stories about this in in you know the press because apparently um, you know McCartney uh, um, they they ran off with a, a duvet or something and then he sent a letter all those years later paying them back for it and that got auctioned off for you know a significant amount of money um, but it was quite nice to go and to sort of just sort of see that this town that's relatively unchanged there are a few kind of ghastly sort of late or mid 70s late 60s style buildings that now seem to be derelict actually but a lot of it is is really kind of old um and you're just sort of looking at it and thinking did they look at this too did they stand in this shop window did they go to this coffee shop did they walk up this street that's got a 40 percent well, 37.5% gradient um, you know just, just sort of tickles me anyway we're getting vastly off topic and, and what I've done is now given JG a job of editing all of that down into something that makes some sort of sense so well anyway. that'll that'll be delightful and something for me to very much look forward to just just for the sake of factual accuracy because if we are if nothing uh, a factually accurate Beatles podcast no that's a lie but regardless um, uh, February the 25th 1943 is George Harrison's uh, birth date so right. wow. so 43 okay. yeah well that's that's even more interesting then isn't it because you know there's, there's quite a lot of responsibility on uh, 
on Mr. McCartney to look after the young Miss Mr. Lennon. But um, yeah, hmm. Uh, the yeah. young Mr. Harrison. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. we meant that Good. too. Right, Factual accuracy. sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's just what we do good yeah well i i have no idea um what they got up to but i agree it's kind of fascinating to to think mm. about yeah. yeah um anyway this song that we're supposed to be discussing yeah you see the, the other reason for for sort of diverting into that is because um um this uh, i was uh, mentioned the lyrics that the lyrics are um in an extension of a theme when it comes to some of the things that john had written about however I don't for one minute believe that they are, you know, that Lennon is doing anything other than replicating various songs that he's heard before. Silhouette oh, absolutely. Is the one, you know, but I, I did dive into um, um, Cynthia Lennon's book on, on John. Um, I will admit, it, you know, I downloaded it on, on the Kindle and I did a keyword search, but I did quite an extensive keyword search. And I couldn't find anything because what was interesting is, is what she thought about his lyrics and whether there was anything in his sort of self-pitying um women don't like me kind of lyrics or you know that that you know, piqued an interest in her but i cannot find any references whatsoever okay. uh, to it so um yeah it's, it, it's all, all a bit odd um and yeah mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm losing enthusiasm even now. There you go. More editing for you to do. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I always appreciate the opportunity to refine my skills. It's a funny song, though. I mean, like, I do quite like it, but I just don't know how much there is to say about it, which is a bit limiting on a podcast where that's what we do. Uh, but it's very, it's a very simple song as well. Um, it's, you know, just a very small handful of chords. They are almost all... Uh, major chords, there's uh, two minors, uh, three minors, sorry, A minor, E minor, and D minor. Everything else is major. Uh, there's not even like bluesy sevenths in there. It's just a very simple, straightforward structure. And that's fine. Uh, I guess it's sort of telling a story. I know that's one of the things that the, that the lyric gets praised for is that it's like a complete piece. I think it was, was it uh, Dick James said? To Lennon, that uh, uh, yeah, that whole that whole that whole thing. I, I don't want to just repeat well-known anecdotes, but Dick, Dick James, Dick James is another one that John Lennon massively criticizes for for talking about how influential he was over in the success of the Beatles. Yes, well, I, I may have more sympathy with Mr. Lennon when it comes to that opinion than I yeah. do with, oh, with the George Martin comment. But uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's fine. It's it's definitely you know it's a it's of a piece, let's say, of itself, and that's okay. It's a fairly coherent lyric. It makes sense. Yes, it's slightly self pitying, but like I said, I, I enjoy the fact that it's melancholy rather than bitter. But. Again, there's not an awful lot of there there. It is what it is. There's there's not, there's not a great flourishing of images. There's not a great um, sort of tonal variety to it. It's just kind of there. I think it is a relatively effective album opener. And we were talking about this earlier on. I think it does work. But at the same time, it's... Is it too much to call it a slight piece of work? I don't know. I, yeah. I, 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 it's if that that says more pejorative than I kind of mean it to be. I, if it is, if if slight is the adjective, then then that's that's maybe harsher than I want it to sound. But so it's, it's just it's it's another one for me 
uh, much like um, She's a Woman, where a little bit of editing and a little bit of thought and going over things could have made this a significantly, um, you know, more interesting and more powerful song. And with She's a Woman, it's that that opening couplet. And and here again, it's it's the, the lyrics, because, you know, you sort of wonder if he'd taken the opportunity to sort of step back and think... Um, okay, well, let's let's have a look at these lyrics as a whole. He might have realised that there's a slightly stalker vibe going on uh, with this. I uh, very much doubt that would have occurred to him at any point. No, okay. <laughs> but but there's there's something about the. the I, I know. I, I I talk a lot about lyrics and I talk about how the lyrics don't really matter. Um, but then sometimes they do. Even when he's talking about the fact, I guess he talks. You know, the only lyrics he really seemed to like were those first person ones that were particularly meaningful and he didn't particularly like narrative lyrics and and this is this is a story you know he's trying to tell a story about this this person who um anyway you know I, but what i don't get is that you sort of get that feeling in the lyrics that that this person um feels that love is is some sort of competition that just because he loves her more he should get to win the woman and you think well it doesn't quite work like that i found you know love his love sounds obsessive and needy and if that's loving more then maybe it's a good idea to be with someone who's kind rather than than someone's obsessive and i think that was the thing that made me wonder um you know about whether uh, cynthia an intelligent woman uh, with artistic integrity herself you know what she thought um about it because we are we're going to get into very soon a whole batch of lyrics where where lennon is going to talk about you know a bit more personal inspired by dylan trying to tell a bit more about me and so on and so forth so so therefore obviously some people are going to find it difficult to separate out those lyrics from these lyrics and some people are going to ascribe more meaning to these lyrics than is actually there but even then be a little bit self-editing. Go back and sort of think, right, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe we could we could update this. And admittedly, this isn't a song that's played anywhere near as much live as, as She's a Woman, but She's a Woman being played so much live that there's perfect opportunity to edit lyrics. But then you get into that whole sort of space about obsessive, rabid fans complaining when, when lyrics are actually changed by bands. So... Um, I don't know what point I'm trying to make here. I think I'm trying to make several, and I think I've probably forgotten what they were. Anyway, over to you. Okay, good. Um, I will press the, the um, I don't think it's technically a middle eight, but the break, whatever the correct term mm-hmm. for that is, uh, which I think is great. Um, I think that's the, the bit of the song where it really um, sparks to life. It's some, some very good harmony work, and, and it, it, has, it has a real um, sense of direction to it. Again, lyrically, it's 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 as you were saying, it's maybe not the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe not the strongest of uh, of uh, but but you know like the, like the delivery steps up as well. I think Lennon really improves yeah. the way that he's and but again, that's also slightly unusual because there's a real power to that section, and then it kind of fades back to the more sort of melancholic edge for the for for the the, the final kind of chorus or final verse rather um and that's also quite unusual lennon doesn't tend to variegate his delivery in that ten, in that kind of way he tends to sort of start you get what the song is and then stop and and that's it, it it's a nice kind of piece of tonal variety and again if it's if it doesn't feel like a revelation which it's not 
it, it still feels like he's kind of questing a way forward. It, it's giving him an additional texture that he can he can add to the song. Please, sir, I have a question, sir. Lennon doesn't yeah. what his lyrics very often. It doesn't variegate. Okay, wh- what? Uh, it, well, he does. It, it, uh, he does. He doesn't vary the way that he delivers the lyrics all that much. He tends to sing it, like if a song is angry, it's angry all the way through. If a song is okay. a love song, it's a love song all the way through. But here, it starts kind of very melancholic. Then it comes up to this kind of much more kind of impassioned middle section. Then it fades back down to the melancholy no, that's, again. That's, that's fine. That's fine. I've, I've just got a new word to look up afterwards. Okay. I, I'm gonna try and fit it into conversation later. Because um, we're we're a household of English teachers here, dear listener. So um, um, I'm going to see if um, um, Mrs. Household English teacher is also aware of this word later. So so, 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 so hang on, she's your patty stroke, yeah, stroke yeah, yeah, yeah. and Mrs. English teacher. Yeah, wow, yeah, uh, yeah. and and also my Sydney Poitier. Uh, okay, if, that's, if like. that's um, was he an English teacher into Sir with Love? Uh, I don't, I, I don't yeah, know. Well, I don't know. You know. But, um, I, I'll just leave that image there uh, michelle pfeiffer maybe um moving on right yes okay no i, I was i was just genuinely interested because uh, anyway i'll tell you what i've written for that middle eight I, i'll, I'll yeah. read the the exact the exact notes that i made middle eight is fine hyphen hand claps hyphen it builds and has some backing vocals i think and i've put i think because actually there's a lot of double track on uh, yes. most of the rest of the song so I'm sort of assuming that, that actually that sounds a little bit more like there is some um, um, something going on there which I think neatly summarises what you were saying there <laughs> yeah. um, but in a substantially less pretentious yeah, way yeah, yeah, that's fine hand claps uh, gotta mention the hand claps you know love, love a bit of hand clapping and you know I, I, I might you know sort of jokingly from time to time um um, make sort of slight digs at, at the um, you know the the lyric writing of, um, of of Noel Gallagher, for example. However, one thing that he really really likes when recording that, that I have to say, you know, I agree with is is real hand claps on tracks. I think it, it makes a massive difference. I think it's it's good that that they're they're putting something in that is a little bit different that adds something a little bit of depth to what's going on. Absolutely. No, it does. It, it really does add something. For what it's worth, a, a hasty check of um, Complete Beatles recording sessions uh, suggests McCartney is doing some backing vocals there. So yeah, there is a lot of double tracking, but it looks like McCartney contributed backing vocals there also. Um, but yeah, no, I agree about the hand claps. It, it, it's, it's such a simple thing, but it, it makes... It, it just makes that difference. It adds that little extra that little extra spark. It's you know, hand claps are no cowbell, but they're still better than nothing. I mean, it's, it's worth mentioning the... Um, um... The, the vocals on their own here as well because if we sort of um, backtrack to where we're talking about this opening the album of course what we get is a double track um, vocal opening for a few beats before the instruments come in as well so it's it's quite a um, you know a substantially different opening it's something that they obviously they're going to go on and and do you know more often you know the I suppose the example that springs to mind will be um, Nowhere Man for example um, yeah. But but you know it's it's good even if it's just like a brief moment that they are trying something different. But I have to ask you here because you know um, I I, I realise that I'm I'm not the greatest fan of a lot of early Lennon vocals. What did you make of the his singing on this track? 
I I generally quite like it. I think it's again surprisingly soft for Lennon, and and uh, I I find that to be quite a, quite a good fit for his voice. The way that he delivers that um, that line, that's a lie. That that's a lovely little delivery for him. It's almost. It almost sounds like he's being sly when he sings it, but it's it's a very unusual sort of way that he he kind of he voices it, if you will. Um, I like it, and and the fact that it's it's got that uh, restraint on the verse means that he's got somewhere to go with his voice when it gets to like the more impassioned like middle eight, and that's also. I think a, a, an indication of the way that he is developing as a singer because he has that that extra in reserve. He's not going at it like flat out, and it would be quite easy, I think, to do that first verse angry or bitter and 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 have Lennon kind of going at full pelt all the way through it. But that's not what he does, and and so I I really like his delivery in this. Okay. I I think it works extremely well. So that, that's quite interesting because again, it's another indication about how how two people can can hear the same thing and come up with something slightly different. Because I think, and this may be the 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 double tracking, but to me it sounds like he's he's trying to sneer. Um, it, it sounds oh, you know, sort of a, a bit sneery and antagonistic, but then we we know, don't we, that that Lennon's accuracy when it comes to double tracking is is not always the uh, it, um, you know sort of swathed in a hundred percent accuracy. That's fair. Yeah, but you know, I, I think this is one of those songs that gets more interesting the the louder it gets. You know, the mm. I saw the light. Uh, kind of um, section of it where you know you feel that there is that little bit more um, emotion and there's a little bit more um, you know a few more interesting things happening in terms of the way that they put it together because um, I'm intrigued by by this song in many ways because it's one that originally they tried to pass off on on Tommy quickly and then it appears on this album as as the album opener, which is still you know like prime position. So um, you know, kind of thinking about what it was that that made them think that it was something that that would be okay to pass off to someone else, and 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 what changed their mind, and you know, poor fool Tommy quickly for uh, for for rejecting it. Yeah, I, I I have no idea what what made them change their mind. I think it's I think it's instructive to listen to the anthology version. There's two versions of antho- yeah. uh, on anthology, um, one of which is is pretty pretty much as is, but the structure is slightly different. Uh, and then there's another one which is a much more sort of got a, a much more sort of cha 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 kind of beat to it, which is a weird sound for this song. It, it doesn't fit it at all. Um, but that clearly gets scrapped at one point and it becomes this sort of more melancholy ballad, which is a perfect fit for the song. And I don't think that that's just like um, frequency bias that I've heard like this version, obviously much more than the anthology version. I think I think it just is better. And it sounds to me like they had tried it in a different style. Maybe it hadn't quite worked and then they've they've gone for this so if the version that that the um right honorable mr quickly was uh, offered maybe sounded a bit more cha-cha or maybe a bit more kind of end of the pier maybe that would have been uh something that would cause it to be rejected but by the time the beatles actually put more time into it and then they refine it back to this uh, you know it's a bit more sophisticated in the in the final version that gives the song somewhere to go and it's that thing about spending a little bit more time just finding a little bit more nuance in it and that that seems to have been the case with this one i, th- I think there was a suggestion that um 
that I, th- I think on anthology, I think one of those versions, maybe it's that that one, is it, meant to be the version of the song that that Tommy quickly rejected. Mm. But I, I, I think I read somewhere that that he has said that the version that he rejected didn't have the middle eight at that stage, and the version on anthology does. So yeah. maybe there is another version that's that's kicking around somewhere. But I mean, Tommy quickly is not be. someone that I know too much about, but I did go in and and have a little bit of a listen and, and he doesn't really sound like the kind of singer who would suit this song so I think it's probably not a bad decision for him and obviously not all um, artists who covered Lennon McCartney songs um, had great success with them but I mean he sounds like he's more of a uh, Tommy Steele type singer than someone who would be singing this kind of rock and or pop yeah, it's it's a curious choice. I I, I can't say that I um, I'm sorry if we have a lot of uh, Tommy Quickly fans listening to this podcast. Uh, I can't say that I particularly warm to him much as a performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 maybe that's unfair. I, it, it was a very cursory listen, so I don't want to I don't want to lean too hard on that. But yeah, you're right. It, it, he like that Tommy Steele is a perfect comparison. That's that's exactly kind of the material that that he he would be he would be delivering. And so maybe maybe this just wasn't right. But it's it's uh, you know. His loss is our gain. Let's say it that way. I think it would have been a shame to lose this song to uh, you know slightly obscure sixties artist rather than have it here and and whatever else. I think you know they, when they did finally get the song together, they got it together. It sounds really really good and it does it does have enough to to. Well, I was gonna say does it has enough to justify its place as the album opener? Do you think it does justify its place as the album opener? Well, I was, I was just going to say uh, uh, actually, I think Adam Faith is the the other singer that that Tommy Quickly reminds me of, and oh, fair uh, enough, yeah, and and even with with the name like Tommy Quickly, he sort of fits that Adam Faith, Tommy Steele type kind of naming conventions. Yeah, apologies to uh, um, Adam and Tommy if those are actually their real surnames. Never mind. Um, yeah. Um, Billy Fury, for example. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it, it 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 works. It sets the tone. Um, you know, you you're not going in with too much of a high, um, but you know, it's it's more a case of, and I think this sort of links in with why they revisited this. Uh, links in the fact that they're they're they're, they're tired. That that they've produced so much music in such a, such a short space of time that they're then having to put together uh, a new set of songs relatively quickly so they can get another album out before Christmas. I mean, that's that's a difficult schedule uh, to, to fulfil. So therefore, you are perhaps going to be looking into, you know, the, the scraps of paper you've left down the back of a sofa or, you know, those old teenage notebooks to see if there was a lyric that you wrote while you were bored at the back of Mr Simpson's chemistry class. Um, to see if there's anything there that you can you can revisit. So, I don't think we should be too surprised that that something that like this that they've they've revisited um, becomes a prominent part of the album because you know we're going to find that that a lot, aren't we? Is it um, McCartney's "I'll Follow the Sun," for example, something that he wrote in in about fifty eight uh, originally. Um, so there's 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 all that kind of stuff going on. Um, but they've made a good enough version of it, and and if the Tommy Quickly version didn't have a middle eight, well, actually, we've both said that the middle eight is is something that really works on this. So yeah, it's, it's the best that's, bit that's added. I mean, certainly in, in terms of Beatles mythology, the more you read about it, the the more McCartney interviews 
that you read, the more Lennon songs came to him without a middle eight. He says, oh, yeah, my bit's the middle eight. And, and that was the bit that really made the difference with the songs. And you go, OK, all right, fair enough. Uh, you know, we're in McCartney land, just like, you know, there's Peter Buck land and I suppose Lennon land as well, where you just sort of shrug your shoulders and go, fair enough. Sure. If, if that's what you remember, not a problem. I'm happy to go with it. Um, so, you know, it, it, it works because it's one of the better tracks on the album. Whether it's one of the better Beatles tracks, yeah. For for a uh, slight sidebar, uh, I think relatively quickly, it's a great name for Tommy Quickly's best of compilation. Um, <laughs> that's definitely that's <laughs> works on so many levels. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 good as far as it goes. This one, you know, that's 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 pretty much. Uh, so, dear listener, you've you've hung on about thirty to thirty-five minutes, depending on how much of my my waffle in this episode JG has edited out, to for us to come to the conclusion that it's perfectly okay as far as it goes. <laughs> exactly. I hope you feel your time has been well spent, and we look forward to spending it with you again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. Let's give this a score, unless you've got something else that you want to add to it. No, no, that's fine. No. I mean, we, right. we, um, it's it's very much on a, on a par with some of those. Um, um, side two hard days night uh, type songs and she's a woman so we're going to give it a um, a smothering six a smothering six from you I yeah that's fair I think I'm going to give it a six and a half though just to be just to be an arse um, there's other things you can do to be an arse well that's true but I'm going to go with this one for the time being okay. uh, yeah it's 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 good I like it. It's not. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing it again. <laughs> I am right. All right, bugger this. Let's just get out of this whilst we still can. Right, you can really get a hold of us. Uh, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore And as I have just discovered, we are Beatlesstuffology on Instagram. Uh, you can find my blog at www.jgmccrory.scott and you can find Andrew's writing at www.stuffology.co.uk. Please also check out my other podcast, Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an alleged expert, which is me, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please, if you have the opportunity and time, and it really takes no time at all, to like, rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you are using so that other people can find the show. Next episode, we carry on through the album and we hit I'm a Loser. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.